is good car you take, yes. Welcome to the Beat Around the Bench podcast, a podcast about woodworking, good times, and general jackassery. With your hosts, Jess of Jess Build It, Colton of Cold Crit, and Ross of RNC Woodworking and Design. You can find us all on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Now for episode 28, Rumble in the Bronx. Be sure to submit your questions uh, to us and we will answer them live. But today we have a special guest, Mr. JC, otherwise known as the business Jesus of Tampa Bay. <laughs> oh, God. JC, Anna, welcome to the show. That, but we'll, uh, we'll, that's a nice intro. I like that. <laughs> How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. Thank hey, you for joining us. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, so just as a quick background, can you give us a little bit of who you are and how you got to know? I mean, your connection is through Jess, but absolutely. Yeah. Tell that story. So, uh, so I grew up, uh, I grew up in the auto recycling business, uh, went to school, was going to be a stockbroker, undergrad, undergraduate, graduate degree. The economy fell out and, and got into corporate salvage. And uh, one thing led to another. I worked for uh, two of the large consolidators in the United States. One was called Greenleaf and another one called LKQ. Um, Greenleaf was actually a Ford based company. LKQ was uh, Wayne Hazanga and all the guys that did AutoNation. And I was a young executive for those guys and did a lot of different different opportunities. I held positions. I was the national sales manager uh, for about 500 inside sellers. I did uh, turnarounds for a good portion of my career, held an executive title, um, and just basically uh, was involved when they were doing roll-ups and consolidations and then went to work for a family company on the West Coast, really liked what they had going on, tried to buy into their business. They said, your name isn't our last name. And I said, okay, great. I want to put my name on the shingle and see how this game plays. And about 12 years ago, we started a company in central Massachusetts with five employees. And about two years ago, we built it all the way up to about 75 people and about 30 million revenue. And we sold it. And, Good for you. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a very mm-hmm. it was a wild ride. Get her done. <laughs> we came back from that. And my wife and I said, hey, you know, what do you want to do next? And we took some time off and everybody says, well, you know, you think you feel better after something happens, this, this liquidity event, you're going to be, you're just going to sit back with your feet up, drink mint juleps and it just doesn't work that way. Um, and the reason not about the money or anything else about, you've got to go get up every day and do something. You got there's yeah. something in your life you got to go do. And uh, we had a couple projects that we had kind of lingered on from the other business. We had started a buying consulting company, another salvage yard recycling company. And then a, and a, and a, and a third consulting company and along with this little company called VinMatch Pro, which is a hobby. We thought we were going to mess around with these VIN numbers and be able to give people more data than they'd had before around automotive VINs. And one thing led to another. Um, it's gone off like a skyrocket. Uh, we're the largest data consolidator in the United States right now for around VIN numbers. And uh, in less than a year's time, we've got over last weekend, we just closed up about 2,800 users uh, producing about 250,000 VINs a month using our service. That's great. How far back do your VINs go? 1980 to 2024. All right. That's strong. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, We're like the the DNA of the VIN number, basically. So we can tell you more about your car, not necessarily about the history. It's not like we told you whether there was service records or anything. We're the guys that go, hey, it's got the blue mirror with the gold hook and the da-da-da-da-da. You can figure out what's on your car to buy the right parts and sell the right parts. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I met JC just so the little history, why he's on the show today. I met JC 
So amongst my many hats, I worked at an auto recycling place, which was actually a customer of mine. Um, and he, he came in, I guess it's like he had helped with them and consulted with them and things like that. I guess that's how he was related to it. Yeah. And they came in and said, uh, we're going out of town and JC's coming to run it for a couple of weeks. And I said, I don't know who this is, but okay. And um, he was, you know, they said he's big name in the business and da, 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 da. And I was very nervous. And then I met him and he was just like a normal guy that was really easy to talk to. Um, we butted heads a couple times. Uh, <laughs> I will, I will tell you when I was like, who is this guy? The Russian. So the VIN match thing, car parts is much more difficult than anybody can understand. Like it is so complicated, the systems. And then we were buying parts from all over the, you know, the Southeast and there was like trucks and you're, you know, and it's not just like a mirror is a mirror, like a mirror is heated a mirror, like for one half year, it was different. And it had the light on this side instead of that one, or the wiring harness is different. Like it's very, very complicated. And that's what VinMatch does is so like, it'll compare the VIN of the car that you're getting the part off of with the, your car. And it will help you try to figure out and make sure it's the right one. So, <clears throat> which is invaluable, especially because return parts and shipping parts back costs a lot of money. So, I also have to imagine that, strangely enough, uh, as a quick sidebar to the both of you, I have to imagine that the VIN history also has to help with the car theft industry and people trying to strip down cars and, yeah, and steal VIN numbers. You'd steal. You'd think that was a big problem. Most of the cars they get stolen either get they crushed or they get they don't get put back on the road. They get set in containers overseas. So if your car gets stolen and it gets to a port city like Tampa, it's never it's never getting rebuilt and like chopped into a chop shop. It's getting put in a container and headed to Costa Rica, Guatemala. Uh, they're not, they, or it's going to some scrapyard and they're crushing it. It's not like the, there's the days of the guy sitting in these shops and they're taking off parts off of a Lamborghini and they're putting them over in the corner here and they're waiting for the other Lamborghini. Oh. The, the, the VIN number is too stamped on the car. The paperwork's too difficult. Jess will tell you it's it's – the process to put that car back on the road is extremely more significantly more difficult than it used to be. Yeah. People used to try to bring us parts and like, we can't take parts. That's like against the law. You can only take whole cars with a blue paper title, like yeah. not even electronic, like the paper title and the whole car. And then they can take it and then pay you for it. They can't like, people would be like, you can just have it. And they're like, we don't want it. We can't take it. So yeah. anyway, so one of the times that we butted heads was, this guy came in who was what was he Russian? Yeah, Czechoslovakian, Russian, Ukrainian, Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Yeah, and uh, he, I had seen him before. He was always very uh, frugal, shall we say? And he rented Altimas. He had a bunch of Altimas yeah. and different years. And he had a little side business renting to other Russian people, and he would rent them cars. But it was a legitimate business. Uh, because they couldn't afford to buy one or for whatever the reason might be. It's good and car, you take, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, it's fine. So, <laughs> so, I guess so, the, the Russians like Nissan, huh? They did, yeah, they were all out. <laughs> so they would, get, they would get like, you know, he would get them like maybe wrecked or something and fix them or things would break, alternators and things like that, and he would come in to get parts. And so he came in and he talked to JC. And I was talking to somebody else, and all I remember is – the guy was trying to be cheap and JC basically starts yelling at him and he's like, you know, I'm not selling to you for that. And he's like, forget it. And it, 
And I'm like, JC is taking this way too far and all this. And they're like going back and forth with the price. And I wasn't like that. I was like, look, this is the price. If you don't want to get out, you know, and he, I like had to like walk away. That's how loud they were getting. Cause JC's getting loud and that guy's getting loud. Then I come back, the guy's laughing and he bought like $300 worth of parts, walked out, came back in, bought more parts before he even left. And he's probably still going there to this day. Yeah. And he goes, no, this is how these people work. You know, like I know how they, I'm like, whatever. Like, I cannot believe what just happened. That's how, well, that's how we negotiated in this country. I mean, I, I've, so in my prior life, I've, I've, I've sold, my career was in sales and I, and I take, I take an expert in being a salesperson and finding out and matching. So Colton or, or Rossi, either one of you guys, you have a customer on the hook and they're y'all fixing to get this done. And if you go, bah, 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 you know what they think? You're a fast talker, right? And, yep. and in their culture, if, if I if I back down from the negotiation, I show weakness. And the weakness, mm-hmm. he would call, he would think that I'm a weak individual or a weak man. And it was better to dis, to almost disrespect him. And, and that's literally, we looked at each other and he says, my friend, you rich American. You, and he, he gives me kind of an insult. You rich American, you can give me this. You have all these plays and you can't give me $10 off this fender. And I said, no, I said, my family has to eat, your family has to eat, to have this place here so you can come and buy parts, this is what it costs. And he, you know, he stops, he goes out to his car, and he has to think about it, come back up, and he goes, okay, my friend, we are friends now. Bah, 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 bah. And he up on so, yeah. yeah, and it was, and, and it was just, it was, it, was, it was an uncomfortable negotiation, it was a situation that I knew I had handled, and it was something that was different than just... It, I mean, Jess's sales style was different than mine, and the environment that we were in was very sterile. So imagine this sterile kind of sales yeah. environment. And the prior owner, if if you know, if, if he's he's still the owner of the company now, but he's one of those guys. If he heard two people getting loud, he would get, walk out and have to calm it down. And I'm I'm just the total opposite. I would sit there and say, "Hold on, let's let's stop, let's take a deep breath here." And yeah. I think I said, "We're not trading ruble. We're not trading." We're not trading vodka for rubles here or some something. He laughed and we went back and forth because he 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 took he took solace that what we were selling was fair and, yep. and by by standing my ground and by treating him with respect and I wasn't disrespecting by raising my voice. It was just how the conversation was was edu- was elevating and Jess looks at me like I'm a crazy person. Thinks, how did you do that? And I said you have to take a point of understanding how people think and his job when he, where he's from is if he doesn't negotiate, he's a weak individual. So it's yep. not the it's not necessarily about the negotiation; it's about the respect of the negotiation. It's yeah. also interesting that you point out, you know, you had a background in sales from different parts mm-hmm. of the world. When you interact with different cultures, somebody who is from the Middle East haggles very differently than somebody who is from India, Absolutely. or somebody who is from Russia or Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Drastically different conversations, and to your point, drastically different volumes of conversation, <laughs> uh, and yes. how 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 insulting or not it's going to be how steadfast each side is. It's, it's a totally different language for the same thing. Yeah. And his emotion and his emotion wasn't, I, I could, he didn't say anything about my family. Neither did I, we didn't speak about disrespect to each other. We were, we, he was commenting first about our, our, the wealth of the company or the wealth. Of oh, hundred percent. Then by when he, when he was commenting about my wealth and then negotiating against it, I knew that he was just, commenting to make to make a negotiating tactic and we oh, 100 percent yeah 100 percent yeah so uh, the, yeah a little bit of empathy goes long ways in a sales talk man yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we, 
And yeah. he, the part was he got what he wanted. We the part the part that Jess loved about it was he brought up this fender and we were talking about it. It was a fender we would have thrown right in the garbage can. I mean, literally jumped. And, and Jess goes, "You're going to sell him that fender?" I said, "Absolutely. That's a that's a prime piece for him." The guy walks up the fender's home and angle on the front of it. I go, "Look, just the damage is very light, very light. Oh, very light. You're right." He goes, "This is the one I get the discount." I said, "That's the one you get the discount on. God bless you." And you know, and get out the front door. Yeah, J C also like he knows he knows uh, he knew a, a million times more about like I would like people people would pay for parts and wouldn't come pick them up and he would know why and like anything that weird that would happen he go oh, well it's because of this where so he knew that you know specifically that year that model that car that that was going to just wind up getting thrown away anyway so he knew what to do with it but so cut to. I quit working there. I started working in the shop and all that stuff. And I see him walking down the road with him and his wife and his dog. Yeah. I had done some handyman stuff for him and hung some TVs. And uh, we kind of became friends. And And I was walking. I was like, hey, we're having trouble with the website. We're having trouble getting you know our name out. And so as it turns out, he kind of mentors people. And he said, you come help me with my house and I'll come help you. And um, I said, deal. And so um, – so, you know, he bought a house there close to the shop and uh, we're going to help him give him a good deal on some cabinets and stuff. But anyway, so he came in and we literally talked for four or five hours like it just was nonstop. And I thought, man, if everybody could hear this, what he's saying, because with woodworking or with anything, even if you're a maker, even if you're just making cutting boards on the side, you have to make money. I mean, unless it's just a hobby, you have to make money with it, which means there's some small bit of business and he had really good advice about building a brand, where to start, setting some short-term goals, and so on and so forth. And so I thought, well, everybody would want to hear this. So, um, so that's, that's actually that's on. actually a great tie-in as to obviously why we wanted to have you on here, JC, and uh, to kind of start that ball rolling. To Jess's point, um, I. Every one of us who, who own, who, who are making things are trying to sell things unless you are to the point where you are a content creator and then you're just trying to sell yourself, yep. but you're still trying to sell something. You're trying to make money in, in some way or another. So obviously there's a million and a half things I could ask you. We could talk all day, but just to kind of start out, um, what advice would you give to a new small business owner? uh, in year one, just starting out a business or we've started and we're trying to get traction. What are the top, you know, one or two things, maybe three things that you tell every small business owner, these are the things you should focus on, or these are the things you should be doing. The first thing I want to tell anybody to start a business is embrace the suck. I mean, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks in the beginning. Everybody says it's this or that. I mean, it yeah, just baby. I mean, I've, been there. I, I've done turnarounds. I've done corporate gigs. I've done my own. I've worked for family. I've done. I've opened them. I've closed them. Whatever. Um, and and at all angles, I can tell you, um, everybody has this thing about you know the same time when they sell their business. You know, this this balloons are going to come down and champagne's going to you know erupt and all these things. And and neither one of them were were, were really. The day, of, the day of the start of the business, like, hey, we rented our building or we bought our business and we signed the papers and we showed up on day one and things started breaking or things weren't what we expected, whatever that was. I would tell anybody, jot your plan, you know, put your plan on paper, but jot it fluidly. 
I mean, I see so many people build these huge plans and spend a ton of time trying to figure out every detail. And is fluid. I mean, you're going to get into doing something and go, wow, this is really great. I'm sure this is the right angle. And from all of my businesses, my parts businesses, my consulting businesses, uh, VinMatch Pro, everything that we thought, if we had gone down the path 100% where we started and we hadn't let the customer drive kind of our, our experience or just find an angle that someone didn't have, if I hadn't been open to that and I'd said, this is what we're doing, I would have lost a lot of money. But what I yeah. was really quick to, I was really easy to make decisions like, hey, we're going to, this is where the money's coming in today. We're going to focus on here. And an example being one of, the, one of the early business things that we did in the recycling business, we were taking cars apart. And obviously we buy cars at auction, we buy this car and that car. And we, were, we, had, a, we had a reputation for pretty reasonable prices, good service, and, but we didn't have anything that we, we didn't have a hook. We were just kind of Joe's junkyard. And, and we, we had kind of okay service and okay people. And we're kind of in that mucky stage of entrepreneurship year two, year three. Everything's working. You're really not making any money. You're looking around going, why did I do this? I had a job somewhere else making pretty good money. Now, <laughs> now it's on all my, my shoulders. What, what I, can, I can know I can quit this tomorrow and go be the, the manager, the VP, whatever, of somebody else. But it's not mine anymore. So what I would tell you is... <clears throat> Prepare for five years of hard work. I mean, I felt good on my fifth year, as weird as that sounds. And I've said, other people have said that to me. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm in the mix. I'm, I'm on year two or three of a couple other businesses. And I can feel the feeling of being good about the fifth year. And it's not the fifth year of saying that. But your first year, you're saying, well, I'm going to go borrow this money. Or I'm going to build this concept. Or I'm going to chase this market. Or I'm going to do these things. And you're going to play in that space. And you're going to get either punched. In, you're either going to find wild success or you're going to get punched in, in the cheek. And you've got to be able to be fluid a little bit. And, and guys that are so rigid about this is the th this is the problem they solve. I, I hear so many people give me solutions to problems that aren't really problems. Like that's what I when I when I hear somebody tell me I'm, I found the number one toilet closer. And you're like, OK, that's great. But everybody just closes their toilet by hand. It doesn't mean anything <laughs> to anybody. I'm serious. How many people have you heard? They have this amazing toilet closer. And they're yeah. like, they, I've got this revolutionary toilet closer and no one gives a shit. It's not a big enough problem to solve. I, I personally like, I like other businesses. I like seeing some other business that someone is struggling with or a business that I understand and know or a business that I'm working towards. And I work in the business on somebody else's dollar. I was a big fan of learning it from someone else first, then going out on my own. And my entrepreneurial journey, I, I tried to go out on my own two or three times before I did. And thank God I didn't. Uh, all the timing and the, the, the facility that I ended up buying was the best opportunity that I would have had, but not many people will move their family from, you know, I was making half a million dollars a year all the way across the United States to pay yourself a thousand dollars a week and, and, and work seven days a week for five years and figure, and I say seven days a week, but all of six and have all the pressure and the struggle on your shoulders to do it. Most people won't do it. And fortunately my wife was, my wife was uh, had kept her job, and she and, and we. I was I was always in our career the breadwinner, and now I did become the breadwinner. And you learn: Are you willing to take a step back to make a step forward? That's another line. That's a that's a really easy entrepreneurial. Yeah. Are you willing to make a step back, a significant step back, to make a significant step forward? And that step forward may only be a little jump forward and a little jump forward, but it's your jump. That's the part that nobody gets. Is I don't care what anybody tells you. Then I had this day. It was the most satisfying day. We were we had closed on this recycling yard. It was kind of a dumb. Really didn't have great people, but 
the first day, the first couple of weeks we opened it, my wife and I came in on a Saturday and we cleaned everything. We just cleaned the office and we took down all their old crap and we had this old window that had all these old stickers on it. We scraped them all off and I could see through the window. And I'm like, man, I can see the future. And I said, I know we're going through, we're going farther than this. And she, her and I always joke about that. We could scrape through, scrape out the window and see through the window and then we could see the future. Hmm. Those, are the, those are the things that I personally, you know, be, be prepared for, be prepared for the suck have a fluid plan. And then the last piece is be prepared for, be prepared to, you know, make changes. Don't get, let your ego get caught up in what you think is right. Let your customers drive that bus. And both you guys yeah. and everybody, and everybody wants to compare yourself. I, I was, my thing was I, and I, and this was just me. I looked towards someone else where he says, well, you just got to be your own guy. Kind of. But when you're first starting business, and you, have, and you have a vision of what you see as somebody that has done where you think you want to be in their business, how they treat their employees, their reputation. Maybe it's multiple people that do different things well. Follow them. Chase that. Those are good things to look after in the, in the beginning. Once you, I mean, and, you know, it's easy for Elon Musk to say, just be your own man, right? It's easy for all these big, you know, uh, talk about the guys, some of the talking heads. Gary, Gary Fischella, some of the, or, I mean, or Andy Fischella, you know, he's a multi, multi-millionaire and be your own man. All those guys that say that stuff in the beginning, they weren't their own man. They had to follow somebody's path. They had to do something around somebody. So yep. that's what I would say, but also just, just go at your own rate. You know, don't, don't, not everything has to be like, it, it, it is not a path like this. It is a path like this. It's and a mountain biking trail. It gets better over here. And it's, yep. and, and, and what I will tell you is you'll know when you, when you really feel like you hit it is the day that you can take the vacation. You know, there's enough money in the checking account that you feel good about it, that everybody's working when you're not there. And then, and then you're, you know, the place is going to burn down when you're not, when you're not involved. And if you can do that with that first time you can take that vacation, that first time that you feel comfortable that the business is running on its own two feet without you being married to it. That's when magic is coming. That's when you're like, I, I've made it. One Man. of the things, one of the things that JC said to me when uh, he came and visited us was, in the beginning, you're going to have to eat caca. Basically, yeah. is what he said. He yeah. said because you know uh, I was. He was like, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I'm like, well, I want the business to do this. I want it to do these things. That's what I want to do. And he goes, well, it doesn't matter what you want. You have to do what. Let figure out what the market wants right now and then slowly integrate into those things, you know, but you have to have a name. And so we've been doing that, um, uh, you know, making things I didn't want to make or never thought I would make or, you know, uh, you know, I just wanted to have sell cabinets and stuff on Etsy and I thought we'd be OK. And it it doesn't just happen, uh, you know, with the snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been just taking side jobs, doing all kinds of different things and it's working out well. So well, yeah. Will, here's the other side to it. We, we we found a product that we we lucked out. So like year two of our business, we we sold truck beds, and then we knew guys from down south that needed. We sold truck beds in New England. They're all rusty, and and I had a had a really good contacts from kind of all over, and I could get a truck bed that nobody else could get. So one thing led to another, and we found this truck bed that was no one knew fit this other truck bed. So it's kind of like a secret interchange. And I found a but guys who had a bunch of them, and I said guys from Ohio, and I remember going. He goes, guys, are going, hey, I'm going to drive this whole load of truck beds out to you, and it's going to be about $6,000. I think I had in our checkbook $10,000. I think I didn't have any money at the time. I said, yeah, come out. By the time you get here, I'm sure I'll have enough money to pay for it. And literally the day that we had worked, we sold $6,000, and he showed up, and I bought the beds. 
And that one singular transaction for our business produced uh, in a matter of five years over over $2.5 million in revenue of that Ooh, one, man. that first transaction, that first product, that first figuring out that no, that little niche that no one else knew or that little thing that no one else liked or something that was, it was, it, what it was, was it was, a, it was a newer year bed that we put on an older year truck and no one knew it fit and we knew it fit. And we had just done, we just had described it and, and marketed it correctly and, and put it at a price point that no one else had had. And as weird as it sounds, Ford Motor Company had discontinued the bed and they and the people at the Ford dealerships didn't know it fit. And we were selling these beds to back to Ford dealers. So it was just this little, little <laughs> time capsule of little time capsule of coolness. And 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 I remember and we were saying, what do we do here? We sell truck beds. And as the story goes, that was the precipice of keeping the match pro because we would deliver these truck beds all over New England. So we had guys literally in the wintertime with with these with these uh, sometimes on trucks and sometimes on 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 um, tailgates and they would drive these beds all the way up to the tip of Cape Cod or all the way up to Southern Maine or all the way down to Southern Connecticut or all the way far West is Albany, New York. So imagine these beds traveling all over and, and my sales guys selling them for two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. And we're like, this is great. This is great. This is great. And we ran into a problem. And the problem we ran into is our customers didn't know exactly what they needed and they kept giving us the wrong information. So we would drive this bed six hours down to the tip of Cape Cod and the guy would take the bed off. Oh, it's beautiful. It's great. He'd clean it, spray paint it, go to bolt it on the truck and come to find out it's, his is a six-foot bed, not an eight-foot bed. Or his is a, a, a six-foot bed, not a five-five bed. There's a bunch of different variations. And that problem sp- spawned the actually VinMatch Pro, spawned the, why VinMatch Pro came out, was we were tired of selling the wrong pro- product to the wrong customer. And we didn't have the information. We had the information that my salesman were supposed to require but you know they were busy they got lazy they said oh the customer knows what they're talking about and about the third time you spend about a thousand dollars to drive all the way to p-town and back from central massachusetts if you ever driven that ride it's crazy um we didn't do it anymore we just we we, we came up with this idea yeah. this program and that's what that, that was a preface is for a problem so the so, problem turned into a good thing it did yeah. and, so, and everybody thinks that they want this magic like super problem we were solving a problem that everybody else had every day. You know, what's an issue that you guys struggle with as woodworkers or what's the issue you struggle with as young, entre- young entrepreneurs? What are the things that you struggle with day to day that you can actually come back to and say, that's a real problem that I can really solve. And does it have enough merit? And, you know, we, we picked a niche business within a niche company, you know, auto recycling is kind of a niche and we picked a niche within a niche, but we knew that it was big enough to springboard us into the re- the next pieces that we're doing from body shops to insurance companies, to you guys, to, to the general public. Level. Yeah. In the words of uh, Bear Grylls, uh, adapt, improvise, overcome. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the other part is walk out with a positive attitude. When everybody says today sucks, you can't. If you're an entrepreneur, you got to be the content. You, you got to be, you can commiserate to your wife or you can commiserate to your friends or you can sit on this podcast and commiserate. But do not commiserate in front of your employees. Walk out there like every day is sunshine and ice cream and try to find the best out of what today is going to be because all day long people will tear down that day from you. And your your job in the morning, come up in the, the first thing in the morning is, and I think employees like balloons, you walk in, you get everybody blown up or pumped up and the, and the balloon floats up. And as the day goes down, it floats down and it floats down and it floats down. And if you walk around with that energy almost all the time, like, yep, we can do it. Yes, we can do it. Yeah, I can help you out. Yeah, I'll work with you. Yes, I'll help you. Yes, 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 yes. You'll find that your employees will give back to you with that same yes. Yes, Bob. Yes, Colton. I'll be happy to make sure this happens. Yes, Ross. I can sure I can get that done. Yes, Jesse. I know I know I'll handle this for you. 
So if you give them yeses, and then when they say no about something, you can it feels uncomfortable, and you get to say what? When, when do you say no here? When when does no when not not no as much as I can't do this now, but I need to do these things to get to yes. So <laughs> let me ask this. What would you say for the majority of small businesses or large businesses for that matter are the five most overlooked things in the business or the processes just overall in running a business? What yeah. would you say most people overlook? I would say I would say the first thing I would do is the simple things that your employees touch every day. This is number one. Walk around their shop and touch their go to the bathroom, make sure it looks like reasonable and clean. Use the, the sit on the stool that they sit on. Make sure it's not crankety. Make sure that the keyboard that they type in isn't missing the any key. Make sure that the monitors work. Just the basic workings of what they do. Ours was always forklifts. We first thing I would do is go to a forklift and sit on it. I go, this thing's horrible. I mean, I can't imagine this guy's job is to pick up these these cars that are three, four, five, six, ten thousand dollars worth of products, drive them around a rough yard, and then drop them off. And, and I've got them in a seat that I would put on my would put on my John Deere tractor. I would put on my kid to my John Deere tractor. And, and, you know, I just, I was always empathetic to the job that they were doing. So take a second and it doesn't take a lot of money to walk around and say, you know, our, our first line of everything we always did was safety first. If you're in an, if you're an industrial environment business, safety first, no matter what you start off at safety first, we all start, we all started together with all hands, toes, eyes, fingers, whatever. We all lead the same way. And when you say safety first, and you actually live it and they tell you something's broken and you put a red sticker on it or you fix it or unplug it or don't use it or don't half-ass it. Cause you know, everybody says, well, I'm making money, but I, I got to do this. Just be safety first. That's number one. Okay. Um, number, number two, pay attention to your people. Like I, I watch so many, so many people leave companies, not about their pay. Very rarely do they leave about pay. Now discrepancies of pay significantly, it's how they're treated and what their soft, I would say soft benefits are. Soft benefit. If you didn't have to be open on the, between, on the, you know, let's say it's Thanksgiving and you're going to get the next day off for the weekend. That's a nice benefit for someone to be closed at Black Friday and give everybody a 40 weekend and pay them for it. Don't charge it against their stuff. Just give them that day. Hey, guys, if we hit our goal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to pay you guys Thursday and Friday. Cool, right? We're all family. I love you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Right. That's those were the things. Money appreciation was way more overweight than than money consistently. And now we did both, but we did it in a way that brought people together. One of the things that we did was we, depending on the size, or I mean, you're starting with a handful of people, right? I mean, Justice Shop has four people. He's working with his wife. He's working it's with just a three now. We got three now. You know, Ross, I mean, I, I don't know what you're what you're what you're chasing. Are you in the woodworking business also? Yeah. So I actually my day job, I, I sell whiskey for a living. Um, okay. but uh I actually my wood shop is is a one man shop. Just it's me. bigger than it's bigger than our shop. It's a very right. nice shop. Yeah. Colton, you're doing the same thing? Uh yes, sir. Yeah, I'm full time with the woodwork now. But oh, nice. yeah. So Colton's at his house and he has this big huge garage thing on his house. And he makes like cornhole boards and and stuff, all kind of stuff with CNCs and things yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, a lot so of when we get our work. CNC, he's going to come and help us help us with it. And Ross, he sells for Old Elk, and he's on the road a lot, but he has a big shop. And Ross likes the hand stuff. And yeah, I do does, uh, hand work, hand tool work, and yeah. custom woodwork. Mostly. Really good hand work, and he's a musician. excellent hand yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
So, so we got we've got Good job. Artists, a couple of artists, a couple of guys. Yeah, I can see an artist on one side. Jess is somewhere in the middle, and Colt, you're like, yeah, I just plug it in. <laughs> yeah, which uh, you know, I venture out from there, but that's my, the bulk of what we do. But um, JC, but I gotta say, bro, you got you got goosebumps on me, man. Uh, dude, talking about first off being in the suck. So I'm what year and a half in to full time with this business. I'm in the suck. I I resonate with that, and like taking a step back uh, to in order to progress your future, like. Oh, all about that. Uh, yeah, my wife is, uh, luckily she still has her day job. That's exactly, uh, that's okay. And, and, and that power struggle, that, let me talk about that for a second, especially in entrepreneurship. So we had always worked very hard. I, I, I've been sales, I've been a sales champion. I've done a lot of sales stuff. And then I had taken a, 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 my first management job and I'd taken from a six figure sales job down to a, a, a you know, a 60,000, 50, $60,000 manager job. And it's just how it's just how it went. And, and the first level of management outside of my sales position was sales manager. And it was it was a it job job was okay, but I knew where I was going and I, and I knew what I wanted and I knew where I was. And, and everybody has this progression. They think that it's just this you know your career progresses that way. And if you're not prepared to make a decision based upon your personal happiness, and you're not prepared to get it with your person you're next to to have it with you and, and sit and say, listen. We're going to, we're going to eat ramen right now. And I'm and you look at your own, take a second and you look through, do we really need cable? Do we really need the streaming service? I mean, we, we went through every, you know, every expense when we did it, when we first did it. I, I remember telling my wife, I'm moving, I'm moving you to just out, about an hour outside of Boston. Right. So we were living in, we're living in Tacoma, Washington, beautiful view of the sound. The company I worked for was great. They paid me very, very well with we this great house. Eagles would literally land on the deck. And just, <laughs> so so I, fly, I fly two weeks before this to go to the salvage yard. She'd never been there. We didn't go visit it. We literally were going from Tacoma, Washington to Central Mass. Picked her up in the, in the truck that we had bought the salvage yard with because I'd been there a couple of weeks. Took her out to this most amazing weekend. Like I'd saved all my pennies. I'm like, we stayed at this nice hotel. We, I was very romantic. It was fantastic, right? She goes, oh, this truck you got to little. I said, oh, don't worry about it. Just our yard truck. It'll be fine. So we're driving back down. We're driving. She's like, you said it was just, you know, 45 minutes an hour outside of Boston. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a long road, but you, we'll get there. And it was about an hour and 10 since outside of Boston in this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And, and we go up to the salvage yard and she looks at me. She goes, are you kidding me? I said, no. I, she says, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. She goes, are you positive? I said, I promise you I'm positive. She goes, okay. So we go to this condo and we're like in tier three of this condo set up. We're, we're looking out at like this mud puddle. And she goes, wow. <laughs> she goes, she goes, well, at least the view is well, the view's gotten better. And I said, well, I think the view's gotten better. She goes, she goes, before you look outside, no matter what you saw out on that thing, you were unhappy because it wasn't your show. And now I've never seen you as happy because even though every day that's hard, it's yours. And so you have to take the the journey in this path is what really if you if you think that the glory is at the finish lines, it isn't. The glory's in the journey, and it's and it sounds corny, especially when you're in the middle of it. You're like just embrace it. Just be like, this sucks. Especially when you have one of those days you get punched in the eye and the stomach and the balls. All three. It's like, <laughs> and it just hits you in all three spots. Because, Triple combo. Because, well, yeah, because the checking account balance that you forgot to put something in that went through. Something drew out faster than you want. The people that are supposed to pay you never paid you. And the sale that you made didn't go through. So all of those things are going to happen right at the same time. And you're going to pucker up just, just like a diamond. And when that happens, the best thing you can do is come home to your wife give her just a big old wet kiss and just say, I love you very much. Give her a hug 
and whatever you need to do next for yourself, go do it. You know, if it's going to your shop, if it's punching the wall, if it's, you know, playing with your dog, I mean, kids, take that moment, understand what it is, know that second and switch then switch gears and plan on what's doing next. Because what you're not going to be able to do is change the outcome of that day. A day's done. And then take, take the time to, to reflect on the day and go attack the next day. Because what I, I had done was I was a workaholic. So I would be there from six in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And what happens is you just lose. There's nothing left. You're just, you're running on vapor. You're running. There's no more soul. You're really getting about half work done. And you're telling yourself, I'm working so hard. I'm working eight hours a week. You're only effective about 50. I don't care what anybody tells you. 50 hours a week is what you're effective when you really work. If not, not half work, not bullshit work, not, you know, real work is 50 hours. And when I get to 60, I got effectively worse and effectively worse and effectively worse. So those are my, those are my, you know, my four or five things that I will tell you, no matter what business you have, be prepared to take a step back or a step forward. That is the number one thing I can tell any entrepreneur, because if you think it's vertical, unless you hit the lottery, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. And Look at other businesses. I, I've always enjoyed fixing somebody else's problems. Everybody says, well, I want to start it from scratch. Scratch is expensive. Growth is expensive. If you can see what somebody else is doing wrong and fix it and then play into that and put, and then you say, well, I want to do this and this and this and this, that's fine. But if you could solve this one problem that generates cash that allows you to do these other things, it allows your spider web to grow. And that's what I think everybody gets caught up in is, when Jess was building, I know what Jess wanted to do, and I thought everything he had to do was brilliant, but his sales cycle in selling cabinets is long and limited, where he has a much broader sales space to sell cutting boards and, and you know, rocking chairs or whatever else that he's putting out on the, uh, you know, small furniture. There's a lot more people looking for that and it's going to go through that so that you can build a profit to get things to move. And yeah. even at the point that you don't find exactly what you want, and I thought the magic at his place was the teaching and coaching because you drag, you drag a bunch of, you know, he's a pretty good looking, he's a handsome guy there. You put him around a bunch of old ladies. <laughs> You're being okay. generous. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I think you're cute. But, uh, that, that's it. I mean, honestly, I, you know, uh, some of this, some of this is, uh, some of this is a little bit of good luck. Everybody says I'd rather be lucky than smart. Uh, luck definitely helps. Um, you can, you can be the smartest guy in the world, have bad timing and bad timing happens. The, the part that I would tell you is there's nothing guaranteed and, and, and failure is okay. You know, everybody says failure. I swear to God, when you get a little bit farther past it and everything, you're not in that first five years and you're little, you kind of enjoy failure because you go, I know what I'm not going to do. I'm never going to do that again. Right. I'm never going to try that again because, because as, as an entrepreneur, you're like, well, I've already got this next thing. I've got this next opportunity. I've got this next, whatever. I've got this next idea or I'm going to come into the shop and get my people excited you know, remember, you are the general that walks into your business every day and how your business runs or how you treat it is how you feel. And sometimes you have to fake that feeling. Sometimes you got to go, you got to put your good, you know, your, your good boots on, walk into that shop and be like, OK, boys and girls, we're here to win. How can I help you? How can we do this? How can we do that? And it's, it's just hard. But um, what I will tell you is when you when you come through that next year and you, and you can take that take that couple days off and not worry about the business or you, you're not thinking about it constantly where you're not looking at your checkbook constantly or you're not looking at your orders constantly. There's something that clicks. When that starts to click is when it starts to feel really good. So on um, that note, oh, go ahead, Jess. Well, I just, one thing that he brought up to, to us and he kind of touched on it already uh, when he was talking to us kind of about the niche. And I've seen a lot of this uh, from people that are giving advice about starting a business about a niche 
and so on and so forth. But one thing that um, you talked about is, and if, if you want to elaborate on it, but like, for instance, it, what you're the one that you're doing now, it was the place is called easy pull. Mm-hmm. And you said, God, that's easy. And it was like, you, you created this one thing. This place has this one thing. That's one thing that you push. Yeah. So well, can you explain we, that? We, yeah. We had a, we had a vision about self-service. If you've ever been to a, you pull it yard, you walk in, bring your tools, they check in, you charge them three bucks, they walk out and the people are kind of grabbing the, the, the customer service is kind of rough. It's, yeah. It's out there. Good luck, whatever. Imagine walking in there and we're treated with respect. You'd say, Hey, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing well, Ross. What are you looking for today? I'm looking for parts for my, for my Nissan Titan. Ross, what year's your Titan? Oh, it's at 07. Cool. Ross, we have Titans and Pathfinders and Armadas out there. These are all similar. Uh, here's the road light locations. There's a bottle of water. Um, if you don't find what you're looking for, come back here. We'll let you come in for free and just kind of and walk you through the process. And you walked out there, find your stuff. You come back in. Hey, thanks. It looks like you found what you're looking for. Hey, we can help you here. We can do this. We can do that. We can make this re- this process really cool, really easy, really fair price. And you walk out the door and you get high five and you're like, Ross, you did a great job. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Well, you'd say, well, there's other people that do that. You don't, those people don't, the customer service, they're not the type of people that want customer service. We have in, in less than three months, we've forexed uh, our volume at the self-service. And it's because we've just had a really nice reputation with people. We've treated them nice. We've made it very easy to do business. We're easy. Word travels fast yeah. in the crowd that are willing to go put, yeah. pay, pull their own parts. Exactly. And so they're like, these guys have a lot of stuff out there. They're really fair on price. And, 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 you know, to be frank, I put three very smart um, cashiers that are smart and, you know, they're millennialistic and they're good. They're good and they're kind of hustly. And, and, we, and I taught them how to sell and they, and they never they never say no. They never take no for an answer. They just go. So a guy comes up with his pile of whatever. They try to figure out how to get it sold to them. And if they can't, they get a hold of the manager and say, how do we make this product work for this customer so he can afford to fix his car? And yeah. it sounds crazy, but we try to make this work, you know, work really, our, our, our word is easy. We want to make it easy. So you got to go, how do you make it easy? You got to make it easy for your customer. You got to make it easy for your employees to do good work. You got to make it easy for your customers to sell your cars. And as we do all those things, that's what our goal is. We, we say, we're going to make it easy for our customers, easier for employees, easy for us to do good business. So in other words, that's your, your branding. Yeah. Branding is easy, but our, but, our, but it's also our mantra. Right. And our old business was called Neater, New England Auto and Truck Recyclers. Neater. We do we're a little bit neater than our competition. Our people are neater, our parts are neater, our process is neater. So we I like the acronym of something that, that describes who you are and it and it also gives you kind of a chance. I mean, I, I believe in that that when people have some when when your employees know what you what your vision is and they can you know, why do they call it easy pull it? Because my, my owners want to make it easy for us to do you guys to do business here. We want to make it easy for us as employees to work here, easy for you guys to buy parts, easy to make this process. And and when we physically make it easier for them, they go, wow, that was easy. It makes it makes sense. It's like, wow, they, they said that yeah. they said it's easy. It is easy. We're making it easy. And 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 we don't have all these rules to make it hard. Like I'm, if you ever been to a business that you walk in and they've got every reason why you're not going to get your money back on the wall. It, yes. says, it says no return on Tuesday. The boss is always right. No checks on Friday. PayPal only, mm-hmm. you know, must wash you, hands before. You know, must wash hands, <laughs> only. You know, you're, yeah. you walk in there and you got, you've got anxiety about doing business there. 
You're like, man, yep. this place sucks. Mm. Well, yep. I feel like people do that in their business because they have this one bad experience, right? It's one thing yep. to, to cover yourself and say, hey, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to do these things. But it's another thing to tell your customers publicly that you still want their business. So we just make things a little bit easier. We don't have all those problems. And we say, here are the rules that we follow by. And they're, they're, they're somewhere near the customer, but they don't read like, you know, it's, you're in the jail cell. And here, and, and by the way, here's the waiver that you have to sign. And there are the rules that you have to, to abide by. Now, did they pay attention? No, but that at least it's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, imagine walking in there and being treated with respect. These people are some of, some of the people are, these are some of these people are, have tough lives. You know, they, have t- they have a tough environment and yeah. it really is their last $40 to get a tire on their car, to go to their kind of job, to go do whatever they need to do. And when, when you treat people at that level with respect, man, they be, they, they'll be, they'll be to your front door. And it's not always about trying to ring. There's a portion of this that has an altruism to it. And for me, it's saying we're, we're doing right by the environment, which we're recycling cars correctly. We're giving customers a very, very good price on parts to, to feed their family and do what they need to do. And we're envir- and allowing jobs for people that some of our some of our um, employees aren't the most angel bird people either. So you know, my my father always joked that you know everybody needs to have a job no matter what, and and we I believe the same. I mean, we hired criminals and, and third strikers and a whole bunch of different people that had colored past, and as long as we had an agreement up front of where they were going, we were good, and it seemed to work out. And so, so JC, let me ask this out of the businesses that you've either started up on your own mm-hmm. or come into, or now transformed mm-hmm. out of the, I'm sure you're starting to see repeated patterns throughout a lot of these businesses, whether they're big or small, what yeah. would you say are some of the biggest killers of a business, whether small or large? Uh, leadership starts with the top. The businesses run how, how the owner wants it to run. And they either don't, they're either money, they're either money motivated or time motivated Money motivated, meaning they're always worried about every dollar that's happening in their business. Time motivated is they don't want to be there. They want to. Have, they want somebody else to manage it. They, they, they think that there's some magic by giving away the, the, you know, the ownership of the business. I'm involved in all three, so I have partnerships. I have a sole proprietorship. I have ones that I've that I built myself, and I've had ones that I stay as an advisor on. And they're all a little different. There is not one that I have like my current one with Easy. I'm a partner. My partner, primary partner, is running it, but I. I financially advise and I advise, I have a strong voice at the company about where we're going next. And, and, and at the end of the day, I empower the people to make decisions. My belief is that when, if, if Ross or Colt or, or Jess works for me, here are the guardrails we're driving down. And you got your job as an employee is to stay between the guardrails and navigate where you need to go. And I'm supposed to, as the employer, give you the guardrails, the car, the whatever to get to the end of the road. And, and if I have to do your job, why am I, why am I, why do I have you doing it? And I see so many people control and, and you guys are building products. So it's at certain stages, if you're not really managing the process, they can cost a lot of money. Most of the stuff that I was doing was in production where it was like, if we didn't get the next thing out, it just didn't happen. So example being is if we were processing 15 cars a day and let's say the loader broke it first thing in the morning, we were going to get cars crushed for that day, for that day, the next day and the day after. That means that we were going to lose 45 to 50 cars a week in production. Now, where is that money going to come from and how do I make up that time? And, and yours may be in, in a piece of equipment. It may be in a piece of wood. It may be in, you know, what your, what your vision is. What I would say is 
I'm not a big fan of perf perfection. I, I'm an 80-20 manager and, I, and I've run all my businesses the same. I get them to about 90% and then I stop. That last 10% of perfection will cost you so much money and it costs you more gray hairs and more of this and more. And it, it's not that it has to be good enough. When it comes to employee safety, you have to be 100%. When it comes to compensation, you have to be transparent. When it comes to reputation, you have to be a, you know, a really strong guy. When it comes to leadership, it's your fault. No matter what, what happens, no matter who does it, it's your, it's your fault. Just look in the mirror and say, I did it. Because it's your company, no matter if somebody worked for you and did it, it's your fault. And then, you know, when you take on it's your fault, you don't waste any energy on why, what happened. You just go on to the next thing. Okay, uh, Susie didn't do this. Joe didn't do this. The power went out, whatever. Okay, how are we going to get through this? We're going to go, we're going to get a generator. We're going to go do this. We're going to, you know, whatever those things are, you've got to be kind of on top of that food chain. And then the last piece is once your business gets to a certain level, I mean, I see so many people that want to be working or at least entrepreneurs and they come in and they go, I'm going to hire this guy. I'm going to hire this guy. I'm going to hire this guy. And they can't figure out why they're not making money. In early entrepreneurship, you're doing you're, you're doing four or five people's jobs at least. And I'm going to say, don't do the jobs that you're best at. I was best at sales. I was best at marketing. I was best at data. I was best at knowing the customer base. What I wasn't good at was accounting. The biggest yeah. mistake I hear people make is just, just hire a part-time bookkeeper. Hire somebody. Do not do your own books. If you want to see you want to see your business feel worse, do your own books every day because it's just have somebody do it. Have somebody take the books and do it for you. If your job is in woodworking or your job is in marketing or your magic is in people or process, whatever you think you're the strongest at, do the most of. And whatever you're the weakest at, do the least of. That's what that's what I'll tell you. People go, I want to just I want to learn QuickBooks. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, what I, what I will say, just just so you understand too, JC, is that most of the people that are in our field and in our audience, aside from a few, are one-man band. Oh, yeah. It's just one person, and they are all those things, like like Ross, Colton, that's and, and even, even me. I mean, I have somebody that helps me, but it's just me and Ashley running the whole show. Um, and we don't even have employees to work about. That's a wonderful thing to think about. But, well, and, and some um, of that is some of that. I mean, there's there is a theory: keep it small, keep it all. And there's some efficiencies in in doing those things. But you're yes. also it's you, right? I mean, you wake up in the morning and you stub your toe, or you're like, <laughs> or you're not feeling like going to work today. You gotta look in the mirror and go, "That's me." You know, that's that's all me. Um, and you know, when when I've when I've done businesses with more of employees or gotten bigger, 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 I can tell you systems and processes to change that, but. On, on the so, small business where you guys are today, be fluid, be open-minded, be, be thankful, you know, with, with the people you surround yourself with and, and try to find something that, you know, that you're passionate about. I mean, I guess I, I see people tell me a story about how this is going to make money. I'm like, do you like this? They're like, no, I'm like, how then you're never going to, you're never going to do it. You're never going to do it well. And perfection is perfection is 100. Per, perfection is a, is a, is a, de a demolisher of profit. And I say, when I mean perfection, I mean, you really want a nice product or you really want to do a good job, but there is things that are going to be off. There's small things that are going to happen. Roll with the punches. And as weird as that sounds, some of that stuff, it makes, it, it'll turn, it can turn out better. Let's say you had a logo or something that was turned sideways and it was just off enough that you only knew it, but no one else did. Let it roll forward because it'll make it. And you'll always have that like, hey, it's a little turn to the right. And, you, and someday you go, yeah, we're just a little turn to the right, right? And, and it just kind of, it kind of becomes who you are. So let me ask this on that same note for a lot of people, as they're trying to grow their business mm -hmm. to, from, you know, the one person shop to many people, 
at what point would you say you have to start working on the business versus in the business? Because that's something I wrestle with all the time of customers ask me to do production of, of mass things. So mm-hmm. I just finished doing a project of 110 custom whiskey boxes for a customer. Mm-hmm. And he was tell- when I was talking to him today, he was like, oh, my God, I absolutely love these. But is there any way we can get the cost down? In all honesty, the only way I can get the cost down is to hire somebody else at a lower rate than what I make yep. to to build everything. But I don't know that they're going to be able to do the same quality. How would well, you recommend? I would ask a different question. It, how how the, the the question is opportunity, right? How many yeah. how many more? If he wants another, he says, "Well, I take another hundred. If you instead of being thirty bucks a box, they'd be twenty bucks a box, right? Or some version of that." So you have Somewhere to say to yourself, yeah. you have to say yourself, Jess, do you, do you want to make whiskey boxes? Colton, you want to make whiskey boxes? You want to make whiskey boxes with me? And you think we could build, think we could build these for this much less as a group and we can go hammer them out? Or do you say, can I build these in pieces? Can I go outsource these pieces by someone else to a mat, like Colton's business where he's just putting them through a thing and you, and you can, you can hammer them together and they'll be, they won't be as, you know, maybe as personal as the ones that you would build, but they would be, they, as far as he was concerned, the quality and condition would be the same. And, and for me, on a situation like that, I would, the first question I would ask is, how, is it a simple product, which it is? Is it a product that I can get someone else to supply? Is it a wood supply issue? Like, hey, you want, rose, you want rosewood, right? Are those we made in rosewood. But what if we made them in something else, right? That was close yeah. to rosewood, but wasn't as expensive. And Colton, can you, can you put this on one by one sheets? And then, and then, um, you know, and then CNC it and CNC the pieces at a hundred cracks at a time, gluing them together instead of maybe tapping them together, whatever the five things that you did that made them special and maybe yeah. make them really good, but say, yeah, I can make them almost as good. Let me show you what one looks like. That's, that's at your, at your price point. And that's okay. where I would, that's where I would go instead of saying okay. no, instead of saying no, instead of trying to chop everybody, I would say, let me show you what I can sell you at a price point, right? Because okay. in our business, it was like the guy calls up and says, I need this engine. And you're like, awesome, great. Yep, engine's got 45,000 miles on it, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I just can't pay that much. Well, the good news is I've got another one with 90,000 miles on it that's right in your price point. And when yeah. you start playing, if you when you start changing your cost of something that you've done, you feel like you've already done it at at margin or less than margin. And, and the choice is, do you want to work for free? And, and, and the answer is maybe you do, maybe you got to keep the shop going and pays the bills. I mean, there are situations a lot of times in my life that I've done a lot of work. My employees got paid. Everybody got paid, but me, but you know what? My rent got paid. My lights were on, you know, once you start, yeah, that's where the, I'm at on a lot of stuff. But. Yeah. Once you start the production, you can't, once you start the beginning of the play, you can't stop in yep. the middle and go, we have no actors. So, yep. you know, I say this, Whenever I would build something or, or I would do something for someone, I would always try to give them a good, you know, not a, a good, a good or great or better or best. That's, that's just mm-hmm. me. What's Here's, here's our good and here's our great, or here's our, here's our good, better, best. Here's our one, two, three. And, okay. and customers, customers with, with that kind of outlook, they don't know what they don't know. You built them a really cool thing, right? One time and yeah. you fulfilled exactly what they wanted. And he says, I would totally buy more if I could just, if I could get a very similar box for a little bit less. Well, I bet yep. you 10 to one, Ross, you could come up with a little cheaper wood, a little different construction, and Colton could take and, and CNC those maybe cheaper or faster than I, you could. I'm, I'm almost tempted to buy a CNC machine for the sole opportunity to do it 
but that's the that's a discussion for a different day. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and when it comes to pro, I, I was always a tool junkie, right? Yeah, I always made sure that we had the the best tools in us. Now, was that good for profit? Not in the beginning, but it but it does in the end. When you're yeah. standing there fixing something or building something, and the worst or worst in the world is you can't do what you need to do when you need to do it. And yep. you know that's just me. I, I was you know we had a, we joked around this the, the snap on guy would come up to the building and. I swear to God, he, my wife goes, you, you have a better relationship than I have with you. I'm like, why? He goes, because he comes in and gets paid every week. And so he would kind of collect his check and do whatever. But um, with you guys, everybody here on this call or anybody who's listening, just take a deep breath. You know, put your path on put your path in front of yourself. Write it down to the best of your ability. Don't overplan. I, I mean, that's the other thing is don't overplan. Everybody wants to wants to have all these things. And, and I say, when I mean don't play, not mean you have to have the resources, that you got to have lights and tools and all that stuff, but don't force yourself down a plan that you, that you're, that, that you're going to, you're either going to be embarrassed because when you tell your friends what you're doing, first of all, they go, you're crazy. You have a great job or I would never do that. Or they're just going to say, no, they're like, it can't be done. So when you, whenever you tell, I, I would tell early not to run to merge, don't tell anybody anything. Just tell them you're doing great. Everything's great. It's good. Just, you're happy. It's great. Don't get into what it's not because the minute you say it's really hard and they go, I told you, I told you you could stay in X, Y, Z. I told you was the job wasn't bad. So, yeah. Hey Ross, have you, uh, you think he has any Russian background? The customer you're talking about? Maybe he just wants you to yell at him about uh, <laughs> vodka and rubles. Yeah. So he, he just wants some respect. Yeah. Strangely enough, I've been dealing with this customer now for almost a year and a half. And today was the very first time I actually talked to him. Everything had been through Instagram correspondence oh, wow. and an email for an invoice. And he had paid half of it. Today was the very first time we actually talked to each other. And um, Did he sound weird? Did he, say, thought, did he or what? say you had a silky voice? He, he did not say anything about the silky voice. His voice was not what I had expected. I'll tell you that, but that's fine. Yeah. Can you do an invitation? No. 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 I, can do I, can, I can just hear the voice. Hmm. No. We all have it. Was, it well, yeah. so Ross is. You were talking about like the branding thing earlier. Ross's thing is quality first, no matter what it takes. That's what he lives by. That's what he dies by. It's that is more important. Like if you if you look, this is how much it, he he will be willing to lose money over that. I'm not, I used to be that way. I'm not. And, and, um, we, 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 we're all, it's very different what we all do. Well, I mean, listen, very, there, very there's different. a point of your, if you're selling high end stuff and you have, I could just tell you, I'll tell you a story about this. And, and this was a company you guys, you know, progressive insurance. And yeah. if you guys remember 10 or 50, about 15 or it was about 20 years ago, progressive started here in Tampa. They were home based right down in, in on the other side by the Causeway. Huh. And I had a pilot. I was I was working for Ford Motor Company at the time. We had a salvage yard that was the was the old Kofer Brothers that was local. And we had a pilot that we were going to pull their parts. And they had these centers. So you used to get your car wrecked with Progressive, and then they would you drive if it was still drivable. You drive it to this center, and they would take pictures, and they would give you a rental, and you drive off, and they would take the car to a body shop, one of their one of the like what they call DRP shop. And they were all about this. If you can get us parts 24 hours a day, we're going to buy so many parts and everything's going to be magical. So we literally stacked the yard up. We had, we had adjusters. They, they were writing cars day and night and this whole rigmarole. And we were all excited about it. We're going to make all this money. It's going to be great. They're right around the corner. We're going to have trucks delivered there three times a day. 
and we were, you know, we did three times a day, the same amount of work we would at one time a day because they just ran us around and, and it was a lot of, it was a lot of to do about nothing. And when I didn't have the, didn't have the experience level or the understanding to say, okay, how many times are your other part suppliers dropping off of you today? And they're like, once. So we just bit the bait that if we were able to deliver more times, we're going to have more opportunity and more of this. And there is a level of like, hey, this is the, this is the waterline. And, and I can understand Ross committing to something and get into it. And you, you just didn't know what it was going to be and your reputation matters. There also comes a point of saying, okay, we're at a change order here where you guys, you guys said you wanted this walnut maple top, and now you want a walnut maple top with a silver squirrel all the way through it. And I'd be happy to do it that way, but there's the change order that it's going to take to get there. And, 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 and he did do that. He did do that. Okay. Yeah. It depends on the project. And to your point, for me, it's all about reputation. I, I come from a long line of, of, of people, of salesmen who always said, you know, your, your, your handshake and your word is everything. And the, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, but there, but life does happen, right? And oh, it does. Life happens. And you can, you can, as a salesman, try to stand behind everything you've done, but the company you work for or the stuff that you commit to. And the it, one thing I have noticed though, it, it, when I've stood up for the quality, I Nine times out of ten, get repeat business. Mm-hmm. Now I don't always take it because I don't always want to work with said customer. Yeah. But I do get repeat business that typically eclipses what I lost. But yeah. Well, I'm not saying that you have to be pull your pants. I am. I was not the salesman to give everything to everybody. My reputation was I'm going to give you the the choices that you're going to make, and and yeah. by, by working on choices instead of working on absolutes. You know, you're selling a bottle of booze to someone or selling it to a club or selling it to whatever. And you walk Mm -hmm. up and say, this maker's, you know, this bourbon is better than this bourbon. Well, some of that is taste, right? You can say, I I like maker's. It just does its preference. And you can say, well, ours won the award. Ours did this. It's it's a personal preference. But we're selling a product to someone and you're selling a product and a service like all of us are on this call. You're, you're selling portion of who you are, right? Who they're going to give you an order that right. you're going to fulfill on time, and then the other piece is that the what their what their what their expectation is is what you're pro- pro- providing, right? And yeah. That, well, all that I can say is be cautious about adding labor and money to something that, and I'm not saying good enough, but there is some level of over good, and, I, and I've done it personally. I we built to see people. We've we've had really really high standards and. That last points of whatever cost me more money than being like, hey, I'd rather work on this relationship. I'd rather work on this product. I'd rather work on this thing than I would chase down the problem that I may or may not have had. I will 100% agree with you on that last 10% or that last 5% even takes 10 times longer than the rest of the project. Yeah, Yeah, I wasn't trying to shed Ross in a bad light. Oh, no, no, no. I I don't think anybody was – no, no, I don't I take like it that. as that either. No, for me, it's I will be the first to say I am typically the person who gets to that 90 to 95 percent on a project. And then I am mentally done with it and I want to get it out of the shop and just gone. And I need somebody else to either come and like kick me in the ass and be like, you haven't been paid for it. Finish the damn thing or do the actual finishing work uh, because they enjoy doing it. And that's the part that they thrive on. So it's to your point as well, JC, you find the people who know their strengths and know where they come in versus what your strengths are as, you know, to your point about the accounting. I don't want to learn about accounting. I don't want to learn about trim work. I hate doing trim work. 
it's it's not what I want to do, but I know people who love doing it, but they hate doing the rest of the build. So, and that's what I'm saying is try to bring those people into the, the positions that you that you're not strong at. I mean, I personally like selling. Okay, so one of my job oh, yeah. in the business was to be the salesperson, and it was yep. also with inventory. I liked inventory and sales. I didn't like buying, which you would be, you know, my wife likes to buy. She likes to look at the auctions and bid the cars and all stuff. I was the worst buyer. I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have the patience or the, I didn't have the patience for it. I, I wanted to get the person on the phone or make the sale or make the deal or figure out the problem. And that's what I got joy from. And I was fine with inputting and doing all the other things. I wasn't good at taking the time to research the next automobile or research what we needed. And it just wasn't a strength of mine. And when, and when we knew that quickly, I didn't touch it. And I really, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't, I will tell you the one thing I noticed that we, when we wear all these hats, we have this, we have an ego about saying that we're good at them. And that's the other part is you may not be good at it. You may, you may be, you know, you may be not good at this thing or you may have to do it and you may think you're good at it. And that's another thing is, is have the ability to be outshine, right? Like I, I, I was, when I brought my wife finally aboard, she left a corporate job to work in this little small business and, and literally became an accountant, a buyer, a this first. She wore a lot of hats and I literally looked at her and I said, this is our dream. We're, we're living it together. And, you know, and it's kind of like Jess and his, his wife that they're, you know, they're looking at each other like, really? And, and it's hard. It's hard when things are, when you're trying to build a business, you're doing those things. What I will tell you is the, that time, that moment, that, 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 that second of whatever, just enjoy that for a minute because it's okay. It's actually, it's, it's usually, it, it can be some of the best. It can be some of the best times and some of the hardest times of your marriage or your career or whatever else. So if you're coming home, Ross, if your wife is still working in corporate or culture and your wife is or whatever, and you come home and say, you know, you're banging on it's hard and they're going, oh, you know, my day was hard too. I, you know, I had to do my job. And you're like, yeah, but this is, this is harder. And it is, it's much harder to be an entrepreneur than it is. I see I can't complain my wife is a stay-at-home mom I mean oh. she she has her own business yeah. uh where she is doing online sales of some things but her her first job is being a stay-at-home mom and there is no I get to go home from this right she works 10 times harder than I do I'll be the first person to say that that's why and, I built uh, the shop off-site yeah uh, but actually, uh, I, I do have kind of a ray of sunshine about the, I'm three years into my business, uh, and I'm starting to see the light, if you will, as you had mentioned earlier to get into that five-year point. Um, this week I actually had, uh, and I wanted to tell the guys this story. I actually had the R and D team from festival out of Germany oh, yeah. in my shop. Uh, so my local festival dealer is literally 800 feet from me, like as the crow flies. And, uh, he happened to be one of the top festival dealers in, in the area. And so they had these R and D teams and a product manager from the Indiana facility. Uh, and they were in town and they were talking about some new products that they're developing and they were focused on the domino and they wanted to know, what I thought about it and how I was using it and this and that. And I thought it was going to be like a 15 minute, maybe 30 minute meeting ended up being about an hour and a half and going back and forth with these R and D guys who they see people all over the world. They're taking video, they're taking pictures, they're asking questions. They're showing me things that I didn't know about the domino and then vice versa. Uh, I was showing them things that they had never thought of. 
And I don't know if that's good or bad. That probably means I was using the tool horribly, <laughs> but either way, but in their use case, they're like, yeah. Um, but the fact that I, I then had the, not only the conversation with the R and D guys, but now I have a relationship with the yeah, product director do. who's based at, at the Indiana facility. Uh, and he was talking about some, some upcoming things that are, that he wants to loop me in on. They gave me like a banner for the shop and, and a couple other tchotchke yeah. kind of things. That's awesome. But it's it's one of those things where when I first got into woodworking, I was like, oh, man, I hope someday I can afford a Festool thing. Festool's like the best, by the way, Jason. Yeah, it's like the Bentley of tools, if you yeah. will. What does it do? Uh, so Festool, uh, they are their, – their kind of claim to fame is extreme portability, extreme efficiency, and extreme dust collection. Like dust collection is their passion. And if they can make a tool that creates little to no dust uh, because it makes a safer work environment for both the, the builder as well as the customer, then and the quality of the tools is through the roof. Yeah, but it was so always it's one of those. German manufacturing. Yeah. 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 They, but it was always one of those like reach for nice. things for me. And to then have the R&D team in my shop, I was like, man, this is like, it's a huge That's thing. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. So, yeah, was, uh, so did you talk to about a sponsorship or what? I was just going to say, <laughs> where, where's, where's my free demo? That's what I would be like. Uh, so conversations are starting to happen. We'll see what happens. I, the, yeah, as, cool. as a salesperson, I always ask the worst they can say is no. Yeah. The other, part, the other thing you could do on that as a salesperson, the people that's been really powerful for me is find them on LinkedIn find the people you spoke to on LinkedIn and give them a shout out and say, thank you so much for taking the time to go to your shop. Thank you so much time for festival. What a great product. Thank you so much. for so, And write three recommendations for the three people that you ran into. You will, you will be blown away that when you're at some woodworking festival or you want to go do something or you want something that no one else has and you have that contact and that person stays with that company or maybe goes to the next company, the next company, that relationship that you created that one time becomes a lifetime and they grow with you and you grow with them. And that one piece, which nobody really thinks about is thanking someone when you thank them in person, they've, they've seen it, but when you thank them in public on LinkedIn, then their and their bosses see it and they see the recommendation and they see the picture of the flag and they see, we couldn't do it without you is the testimonials that'll bring your shop and to them to the forefront. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's that's the follow-up card. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so the follow-up I, I, card of today. It's not nobody so. Gets, yeah, nobody, nobody cares about thank you card. Now you're doing it. Now you're doing it publicly on their profile uh, to their company, and you're shouting out their company and them for being you know a big part of your success or a part of your success. So I I did do that on social media, and I sent a text message to the contact from the USA office. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I have not done the LinkedIn side, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on that. That's yeah, that's a great piece of advice. It sounds crazy, but you look down and and I do public and I do public speaking. Um, so that was part of the part of one of the pedigrees of the jobs I had. I did a lot of a lot of promotions, a lot of public speaking, and part of my career was doing a five minute. I had a five minute stand up, and I wanted to do stand up comedy and standing in front of people and speaking and coming up with how do I influence this person in a different way. Than they than they've been influenced in the past. Am I going to touch on their heart? Am I going to touch on their ego? Am I going to touch on their product? Or whatever that whatever that piece is that you've connected with them with, and then it, it just puts you top of mind, or or you know it may mean nothing, but it may mean something, and, and it's just it's random how this world works. And then Ross, you're going along with it, and the guy from Festival says, "Well, I've met this guy. I know this guy in Tampa. 
He builds these beautiful boxes for, for, for bourbon. And it's just how that's how, yep. that's how, she, that's how it happens. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, I On the same note, so for, this is the third time now Freud Tools reached out to me because nice. we tagged them in that stack and one in our video for their – for yeah. their social media. So really, you, know, you, should, awesome, you, have, to, you have to agree to it. Yeah. So that the, their data stack that I've been using, they've been, they've been asking to use our video. So that's pretty, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. Well done, man. Heck yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, you guys it's my yeah. wife. Got to keep putting out content. Yeah. You got to keep putting out yeah. content. Yeah. Uh, now we're, we're just over an hour, hour and 10 into this. Uh, do we want to jump into the wood of the week real quick, or do we want to keep it on the straight and narrow on the business side? What are you thinking, Jess? Uh, I mean, I've got a wood of the week. Uh, we can do the business thing this podcast, whatever you want to do. JC, do you want to learn a little bit on yeah, this podcast? No, I love the, the wood of the week. I'm, I'm in it. Let's go. Uh, let's go. All right. Hold on. Let's uh, let's play some music for it. Wow. 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 All right, this week's wood of the week uh, is not a wood that I have used, but I have repaired some, and it's very popular here. It's kind of like what they call the poor man's mahogany, and it is called Sapelli. Now, I don't think we've done this one before. Me and Ross talked about this. I don't believe um, so. But Sapelli is gorgeous. I don't know um, if everyone listening has, has seen it before, but definitely look it up. Um, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's not as expensive, let's say as mahogany, but where does it hail from? It's Sapelli. It hails from East, West Central and East Africa, Ghana, Nigeria, Cameroon, Uganda, Zaire, Tanzania. Hmm. And, um, it is just this chocolatey, beautiful grain goodness. It makes some of the most beautiful doors I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's pretty hard. It's harder than like Oak or something like that might be. Um, the Janka hardness is like around 1360 and, uh, it's just, it has like, like a cedar scent when you cut it. Um, but it's used in everything from, cause it bugs don't touch it. It's good around water. So flooring, furniture, boat building, musical instruments, turned objects, anything. A lot of companies, there's a couple of companies around here that make uh, like interior doors. Um, uh, and there's another company that specifically makes interior, uh, like what you would have like a, a wine room, like a cellar. Mm-hmm. Sapelli doors with like argon glass and stuff in them, handmade custom. Hmm. I don't know how much they cost, but I, I did a little work on a couple houses that had them. Um, so that's it. It's a hardwood and it is, it is gorgeous. If you'd ever get your hands on some Sapelli. Okay. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Do you think that he can handle some trivia questions? I don't know. JC, do, do you want to try a little trivia? Let's go. I love trivia. Let's dance. All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's start out with our guest this week, Jess. All right. So today's carpentry and wood trivia is an advanced edition. And I did go through these questions and make sure that none of these were uh, on any of the other ones. So question number one, what is flitch in woodworking? What is flitch? Flitch, F-L-I-T-C-H. 
Is it A, a thin piece of wood for veneer? Is it B, a cut made for inserting a biscuit? C, the hollowed out portion of a mortise? Or D, the angle of a beveled cut? I'm going to say B. Eh, wrong. It is it is a thin piece of wood for veneer. Now, I will tell oh, you. I, I got that, that wrong, too. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I will tell that. you, the only reason that I knew this is there used to be a sawmill here in Tampa uh, called Axley Brothers, and they only did Cypress, right? And you could buy a flitch cut. Now, it wasn't thin necessarily, but what a flitch cut – and this used to be how woodworkers many, many years ago used to buy their wood. It's the whole tree sliced up so they could veneer and make their grain match, right? Yeah. So basically a flitch cut or a flitch is where it's sawed long ways down the width of the of the tree. So he's like, yeah, that's flitch cut. I said, I want a live edge. And he goes, you mean a flitch cut? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. So uh, anyway, so technically a live edge slab is a flitch cut. So that old school knowledge. Right, Ross, there did you, you know go. that? Uh, I, I was leaning towards that, but I did not know. Uh, I, was, yeah. I was leaning towards D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I thought A quickly and I was like, man, I wasn't really sure. So, <laughs> hey, so let me ask you guys a quick question that I actually have asked. And I know you would. Where is the wood cover? Like you guys are all doing custom wood stuff. Is there a you – know, you guys buying it from – you're not buying it from the same place you're buying Home Depot, right? You're, you're going to – you're buying it especially wood places or how are you doing that? Yeah. It depends. I, I, I'm going to a mill. I, I, I normally go to the same mill, um, which, you know, different mills will be good at different things. But uh, – and like they'll get it from all over from what I understand. But um, yeah, I, I mostly go to the same mill and they deliver, so – so you just say I need this, and they'll they'll give you a price or whatever, and ship it in. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Or have it. But if it's yeah. like a really like nice wood or like an artsy piece, I may go into their uh, place of business and pick out the board myself. Got like it. if I'm looking for a specific curl. But like whenever I get my poplar, I just call them and tell them I want so many board foot of poplar. Okay. Yeah, and I get mine from there's an architectural supply place that supplies for like cabinets and pretty much anything to build like cabinetry and and uh things like that and i get the like local hardwood so like oak and and poplar and walnut and stuff some of it that maple some of it they keep in stock some of it they can order for me and then anything that's exotic i i have to go to like a lumber place for it so Home Depot is like three times the price for everything. So okay, yeah. And for me, if I'm doing something where I know it's a simple dimensional board, I'm working off of or plywood. I go to your local mill every now and then. I'll go to like a Lowe's or Home Depot, depending on what it is. Usually, that's for plywood more than anything else. But uh, if I'm doing most of the custom work I'm doing, I actually use uh, trees that have been felled in my area oh, wow. that I have been drying out. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a guy with a saw, so lucky, yeah, a couple lucky, saw lucky. Mill. Friends with sawmills. Yeah, know, that's Ross. amazing. Ross, where do you now where are you at, Ross? I'm out of Chicago. Chicago, okay. And so similar Ross. to the northeast when you were up in, in Boston, yeah. there's a lot of old growth trees around here that yeah. are cut down randomly for whatever reason. And I work with a lot of the local municipalities and I get the logs for free and then I take them to the sawmill. 
because it actually costs the municipalities money right. to either cut them up themselves or have somebody else cut them up and make firewood or whatever. So I get it out of their hands and uh, then I have it milled up and then I dry it out myself. Nice. So it's lucky, lucky sucker. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's not a lot of good in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm down in Houston. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, there's not a lot of good trees around here. Houston. Well, I guess you can get some pine trees. You go the pine curtain. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, we all hate pine. Pine's yeah. the devil. Okay. okay, great. Question number two. This is for Colton. We'll go around on my screen all right. here. Here we go. Which wood? And I did not know the answer to this. I knew which I was going to pick. Which wood is traditionally used? Okay, I don't want to get an argument with Ross again. Which wood is traditionally used for <laughs> Japanese joinery? What wood? Is it, yeah, what wood? Is it A, pine, B, hinoki, C, cedar, or D, oak? Uh, bravo, hinoki? That is correct. It is Hinoki. I have no idea what that is, but it's next week's Wood of the Week. All right. Yeah, I have no idea what it is either. It was the only Japanese-sounding one on there. (laughs) I thought it was cedar. I thought it would be some sort of Japanese cedar. It is a Japanese version of fir. Oh. Oh, is it? So it's like like a a Douglas fir. Yeah. So it's a a coniferous or whatever. Yes. Number three. That should be the Wood of the Week. this This is for Ross. He knows all about this. What is cupping in the context of wood boards? Is it A, when the edges of a board are higher than the center? Is it B, when the center of the board is higher than the edges? Is it C, when a board has a rounded top? Or D, when a board has a wavy surface? The answer is A, when the sides are higher than the center. That is correct. <laughs> what, what if you flip correct. it over, though? I mean, <laughs> no, just then it would be Bowen. You know, you know, I don't need your. Okay. So, by the way, this is some of the. Oh, so, by the way, uh, JC, while I'm thinking of it, the woodworking class, we're doing a free one. Uh, we put eight spots on there, booked them up in a week. And then I opened two more spots, and now it's booked. So, I have 10 people now coming to this first free woodworking class. So, I hope, I hope. That I can get ten reviews, and that is a some sort of fork coming to a class there. So. Well, I mean, let's take that entrepreneur. We we haven't talked about that, but let's say this is our free woodworking class, and we'd like to have you go to our six week class, or eight week class, or twelve week. But class. just a, yeah, twelve. What are you talking about? Like two days? That's all I need. To you know. say that, but listen, you know, one of the things that's been really that's been really good that you know selling the business was everybody wants to be everything to everybody, but some of the experiences you guys have had in your prior life, whether it's you know, managing wood shops, whether it's being a young entrepreneur, maybe it's specialty in what you do. If you can go out and teach that to other people and you get paid to do it. And, and, and I say consulting in my level right now is a crutch because the heavy lifting that I have to do around the next products we're building is a lot of work, but it's really easy to go back to things that I know how to do well and speak to people that are still struggling with it. And so we, I, so I kept a consulting group and as I've worked through these customers, we, you know, I started off with a, with a vision that we're going to work with them for six months and we're going to go out and see their business and we're going to have this kind of boot camp of consulting and I'm going to tra- I'm going to coach them a little different than they have been, which is, you know, I was an executive level um, uh, person in this, in the business. So I oversaw sites and regions and all those different things. And I'm, I'm taking entrepreneurs and, and have, having them require to bring back work to me each week, which isn't something that entrepreneurs usually like. And when it's because they, they know me and they know my reputation and they know I know them and I know their businesses that I'm able to say, hey, hey, listen, guys, I need you to do these five things this week. 
And if you do these five things that we get to do the next five things, and some things, some things are going to work a lot. Some things are going to work well at all. And we kind of keep them in line and keep them going about it. Well, that money that that brings in is easy money in the fact that I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time on it. I know what I'm, I'm, I'm projecting out with them and I'm planned up for kind of like this podcast. If you guys get super famous on this podcast, right? And let's say it's amazing. And everybody said they just, they love the wood, the wood guys and the wood con, you know, you guys are just ring the doorbell on this and you've got all Obviously. these people sponsoring it <laughs> and you're getting sponsor money and you're getting wood time and you're just building up, you know, you're building notoriety with you guys. I say this, I say this with the fact with the fact that one, you're doing it when because you like each other, right? You like what you're talking about. Two, you have a vision, your hope of what it could be. And three, you're gonna learn something together, right? I mean, when you guys have talked this 29th year, what this is the 29th show? 28th, 28th yeah. show. You've had to learn something from each other and had to learn. Yes. Oh, we have. <laughs> a yes. little bit all of us here and there. Yeah. No. So that, that's all, you know, that yeah. in itself, that, that, that vision of, of learning from each other, where you guys get to be young entrepreneurs together, enjoy each other's time. And even if nothing comes from it, you know what you learned, you learned on how to do it. You figured out how to work it. You figured out how to build a podcast. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of respect from a lot of people in the journey and you guys are really taking the journey on full throttle. Hell well, yeah. week-long class isn't a bad idea. We could do like a cabinet making class. That wouldn't be bad. Okay. All right. Uh, JC's to, question. JC's question. Number I'm four. To pick some, something that was easier, something that he might know. Um, Ask him the Fletch question again. <laughs> all right. You might, you'll know this one. All right. Uh, in which joinery method are alternating, which I don't know this would be joinery, but in which joinery method are alternating layers of wood and adhesive used? Is it A, tongue and groove, B, a scarf joint, C, laminate bending, or D, mortise and tenon? Alternating layers of wood and adhesive used. I, I want to say it's plywood because that's all I can think of. Is that it's tongue, tongue, and, tongue and groove, scarf joint, laminate bending, mortise and tenon. I want to say laminate bending, but 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 scarf and tenon. Like the one sounds like something it should be. So, yeah, so <laughs> laminate bending would be laminate that you're bending to something. Scarf and tenon. I don't know what scarf and tenon is the only one I don't know. So I'm going to go see. Uh, yes, that is correct. Oh, yeah. Laminate bending. Hey, hit the applause. Bending. All I right, we got that button. We still got buttons. There we go. We got buttons. All right, that's very good. Very we nice. got buttons, baby. I love it. Okay. You guys, are, you guys, you got this figured out. Okay, so, um, so that's kind of like where you would make like an arch, like form, and then you would like thinner pieces of wood that you couldn't necessarily steam bend, and you take a thin piece that'll glue it, another thin piece, and glue it, a little, another little thin piece, and clamp it all tight, and it would make like the back of a chair, yeah. say for instance. So. Okay. All right, Ross, hit, uh, hit the dramatic music. Here we go. Okay, Ross, this is a hard one. Ross, question number five. What is a bird's mouth's cut commonly used for? Roofing. Uh, yes. <laughs> there we go. Applause. It is, it, is, it is for roof rafters. It is. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Yeah. Did you, you, like, did right, you Cole, actually skip me? Up. Jess? Uh, no, you said Ross, so I said Ross. Okay. All right, Colton. Uh, Question number whatever. What is the Six. main purpose of using a tapering jig in woodworking? Oh, is it A, to cut wood at an angle? 
B, to create dovetail joints, C, to make mortises, or D, to make a rabbit cut? Alpha? Angle? That is correct. Right. To cut wood and angle. Woo. Yes, very good. Very good. Yes. I used, uh, I used those to make tapered legs, actually, on the table saw. All right. Oh, nice. Uh, so we're back to JC. Now, I did, I've never heard this, ever, but I guess it's a thing. What is, and you know about this with metal tools, right? Yeah. What is case hardening in wood drying? Is it A, the surface dries before the core causing tension? B, surface dries after the core causing compression? C, quick drying to increase hardness? Or D, drying only the surface for finishing? I'm going to say it's C. And that is incorrect. It is the the surface dries before the core causing tension. So case-hardened tools, the outside is a little bit harder and the inside is a little softer, so it doesn't break, but it maintains an edge kind of basically. (laughs) Yep. Uh, So I didn't know know that was a thing with wood. All right, number eight. Colton. Uh, Colton. What does quarter sawn (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> what does quarter sawn mean in terms of lumber cutting? Is it A, cut perpendicular to the rings, B, cut at a 45-degree angle to the rings, is it C, cut parallel to the rings, or D, cut at random angles to the rings? Oh, it's definitely random angles. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I, I could draw it out on a circle. Uh I'm proud of you. But I, I get yeah. I mean, quarter song. It, 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 it's B or C, right? Um, I'm not, I, yeah. What's the answer? B or C? You want a clue? No. So or just what, what, what was B or C again? B is cut at a 45 degree angle to the rings. What does that mean? C. Like I, C. I guess. So like the the grain would be going like this, right? I will, I will tell you this. Quarter sawn, the grain goes at least less than 15 degrees. On the end of the board, the quarter sawn, if you looked at like a piece of quarter sawn oak that has all the medullary rays in it, it's straight up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember all the, the questions. I'll, 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 go, I'll go see. Okay. <laughs> it is. That is correct. Yeah, baby. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm talking it about. It is cut. It is cut. Oh, no, wait. Is that right? No. It is What's the answer? A. A. Perpendicular to the rings. Okay. Uh, I, I was thinking that, but then I talked myself out of it. That's right. Quarter sawn. Yeah, it, yeah it, it would break it into uh, four pieces at that yeah. point. That makes sense. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, 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 that's heavy handed. <laughs> that's heavy handed. Also, <laughs> okay, number, number nine. Uh, what is the golden ratio in woodworking, Ross? Is it one to one, three to two, one point six one eight to one, or four to three? I have no idea the answer, but I'm I going believe to believe it's one to one. A. That's the golden ratio. I, I mean, I'm going to go with that. It's probably not the right answer, but no, let's go correct, with A. The correct answer is C. One point six one eight to one. So, so I've I always heard has, about the golden ratio, but I've never really dove into it or know what it means. 
I don't know. Maybe it's like when you're making a furniture piece, the reference to one piece. I don't know, but I'm going to look it up. Maybe proportions okay. of like like legs to backs, <clears throat> seats. To back. I, 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 All right. All right, JC is the guest. You get the final question. Let's see what, let's see what, let's see what we can All right. Over. What is the snipe defect commonly seen in planing? All right, snipe. Is it A, a raised edge at the beginning of the board? Is it B, a raised edge at the end of the board? Is it C, a lowered center on the board? Or is it D, a cupped board? I, the reason I would say snipe is because I think a sniper, and like he's like tucked in between something, so it would be the middle. So I'm thinking it's C, but that may be, I, I don't know if I'm right. No, uh, it, it, the, the correct answer, and I'll explain what it is, it's a raised edge at the end of the board. So a machine like a planer or a joiner, mm-hmm. if it's not exactly right, it will kind of dig out a little spot. Uh, yeah, I, it, I don't see that as a raised edge. I see that as like a, a, a divot out of the board at well, the end. sometimes yeah. mine's a little taller. Sometimes my snipe is a little thicker at the end, and it's because the machine's like the way that it pushes it when it comes out. So, so you're saying so, your machine's a little thick with it? It, it could <laughs> be. Get all right, yes, yeah. I'm, all right. Anyway. You can't applaud so, for yourself. Oh, sorry. Those, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you can. I like yeah. that one. I like that one. <laughs> that, that was uh, this week's Wood Trivia. Sniper, no sniping. All righty. Well, thank you. Sniper, no sniping. <laughs> uh, JC, are you a man who appreciates a good dram of whiskey from time Absolutely to time? Absolutely, I do. We were actually, so we were. We uh, like the dark liquors. We, we do like a little, a little whiskey. We're actually, we're building a box. So a friend of ours, if you ever follow whiskey, there's a, there's a company out of Bennington, Vermont called Village Whiskey. Um, and this mm-hmm. guy, his name is Glenn Sauer. Him and his, his cousin started this place and built this unbelievable still. This is a, This is one of those guys that, we talk about entrepreneurial has been worked with Hemmings Motor News, done a whole bunch of stuff at custom builds. He's done a lot of, he was just on, um, uh, he's been on a bunch of podcast stuff, but he does a lot of the, the kind of guys that do the cars, the junk cars, they drive across the country and they kind of fix them up as they go. He's involved yeah. with those guys. So uh, he's, he's a super talented bike builder, super talented car builder. Uh, and he started this, this whiskey joint uh, distillery out of Southern Vermont. And we're actually, we just bought our first barrel and we're bottling nice. 280 of maple, uh, maple flavored whiskey. Uh, and, oh. and, and the story is that uh, my partner and I, when we started the computer company, we started with this one key. And I would never, I would always joke with him. I could never, I didn't even know where the any key is. And he gave me this one key. And we, we built a box. And just like you were talking about building these boxes, we we're building a custom box around whiskey. So yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we have a little segment called the Whiskey of the Week. Oh, and the we week. delve into whiskey from all over the world. So, you ready here, yeah, Colton? And, and yeah, brother. Yeah. You guys bring out the whiskey that you have, or you always decide what you're going to try, or does everybody get the same way? How does this all work? Uh, so, uh, so, Ross is the, um, the grand master. Of the, the of the brown liquors of the group, sommelier. and uh, well, yeah, you've been with Old Elk for a long time. Uh, I officially hit five years with Old Elk oh. uh, this past Monday, but I have been selling whiskey now for fifteen years, and technically, I am a master of Scotch as well. 
Yeah. So, so if you went to your if you went to your shelf, what would be the best one that you would pull off of your shelf today? Oh, uh, see, that's it's not a it's not a best question. It is what is the right one for the situation. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask a question. What would be the one that everybody would be? You're pulling off like a Pappy's 18, or you're pulling off what are you pulling off? No, see, I I go for more the. The rarity, I there are two schools of thought. I either go for the unsung hero okay. that nobody knows about, okay. the dark horse, if you will, or I go for the one that's like, hey, this is the first batch of this one thing that went global like 15 years ago. Here's a bottle from that first batch. Cool. I don't buy into the hype of the the, the Pappy Gates. Pappy and Gates, the this yeah. And the that. Like I, I've had the entire family of Pappies. Yeah. I've had the Stags. I've had everything under the sun. And the majority of the whiskeys that people are chasing down, if you can get them for the standard retail price, they're great whiskeys. If you get them for the secondary market price, which typically adds a zero on the end or more, they are not worth it at all. Doesn't matter what whiskey it is, they're not worth that new price. So uh, the typical way I recommend it is if you can find it in normal retail, it's great. But the idea behind this was to not only teach Colton about some whiskey from around the world, but also our followers uh, as they're listening and just get a little bit of education behind it and show them that it's not all the pappies of the world that people need. There are some great ones out there. Let's try and explore. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. And that was kind of our purpose behind this. So if you get a second, follow Village, uh, Village Whiskey or Village Vodka, and they're out of Bennington, Vermont. So that's my... Okay. That's yeah, I'll, I'll give them a shout. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Nice. So, Colton, uh, you had a dual opportunity for this week. It was either going to be the Black Whiskey from Peru. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that came in or not. And or the Bushmills Black coming out of Belfast. So, I was able... Were you able to procure either one? There's a, and did they dandy? There's a one-legged goose swim in a circle. Hell yeah. <laughs> the, uh, nice. the, the Black Whiskey came in the mail. Boom. Yay! Perfect. Oh, it did. It did come. I was gonna. I yeah, was hoping it did. It did. It came in yesterday, and um, yeah, I saw UPS was waiting out front, and I was like, "What are they waiting on?" They needed me to sign for it. There you and, go. Um, or he was drinking it. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, it came in. That is an odd whiskey. So what? It says <laughs> it, it says it's made with black corn. Yes, it is made from black corn from the the Andes Mountains in Peru. So corn that is grown at like fourteen thousand feet of elevation. Wow. So like one of the, the the more rare whiskeys. There are not a ton of South American whiskeys out there, but this Peruvian one is just some of the the highest elevation whiskey as far as the growing conditions and then distilling conditions because of that height. You're actually only able to get very very thin vapors uh it makes for a really wild cooking situation as well for the distillation so i was very curious i've actually never tried it oh and i wanted to get your feedback i've always wanted to try it and i well let me paint you no. let me paint you the picture of what this whiskey tastes like okay all okay, right so, so things are getting stale in the bedroom right and you want to spice it <laughs> that's up that's a great entry <laughs> i love this Okay, and you, continue. And you go to spice it up, right? And um oh, and what what is she she pulls the old the old finger cannon, the uh the old prostate tango. She puts a finger in your butt. <laughs> this is what she does. <laughs> we, we, we know what you mean. And your All face right. is like, like huh? <laughs> Do I like this? Does this make me gay? No, I don't think so. This is my wife. 
Like, is is this okay? I think I like this. And that's what this whiskey is like. Because the first thing that came to my mind was a finger in my ass whenever I tasted this whiskey. And um, it's odd. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's awesome. Oh, oh brother, it's good. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love you. It, um, yeah, so. The whiskey, it's super dark in color, right? And then okay. it's it. So it reminds me of uh, in Belize, they have this uh, this like wine that cashew wine. No, it, it's um, they call it mama wana, not marijuana, but mama wana. Are you sure it's not cashew wine? I don't think it's in Belize. It, it's really red, um, and then they yeah. um. They put like all these like uh, bitters in it, like like roots and bark in it. Oh, okay. And like um, most bars, yeah. just like have it like sitting out. And uh, but yeah, it, it Mama wanted it, so it. it this whiskey kind of remind me of that. It it almost has like a wine taste to it. Like it, it's not want not like a dry cab, but like a uh, like. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know the words for it. Right? Yeah. So you got you got to put these my my thoughts into words here. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but it, it had like this, like like kind of wine flavor, and like at first it was weird. It's like, what the hell is this? Like, and then, but yeah, it, it it settled in really good. And then, so for the cocktail, I was not going to do a normal cocktail. I went back to our Highland Park episode, nice, and I did a very dirty martini with it. You know, it's nice. like a little bit of dry vermouth, just rinsed on the glass, and then um, yeah. For the olives and the brine, I used a really spicy olive, and it was a it has like a peri peri olive in it or peri peri okay. pepper in it, and um, it's kind of hot at the end, but like it, it's a good hot where it doesn't like hang around for too long. Yeah. But it uh, it burns you, and it paired really well with like this uh, this mamawana. Like when I was making this little cocktail, I was like, this is either gonna be the best or the worst thing ever, and um, it actually paired really nicely. And that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I, I almost went back to the Manhattan again. I was like, I'm not going to waste another cocktail on that. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, fair. yeah, the extra dirty spicy martini went pretty well with the black whiskey, baby. I like it. I like it. Okay. Well, that is a, a rousing, uh, <laughs> rousing description. <laughs> and, um, Rush out to go get a bottle. Makes it makes me want to yeah. try it. Yeah. Know. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would, had to order it straight from the distillery, and uh, I think it was like seventy bucks after shipping really? and taxes. Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, and that's coming in Texas. Y'all probably have lighter laws on some of the the duties and whatever. But um, yeah, it came in really nicely wrapped, and nice. yeah, it, look, it looked like a bundle of cocaine. It was really, it was like wrapped in like <laughs> saran wrap and stuff. And, it was good. I uh, I might have to style. procure some of that from you, Colton. So yeah, oh, I uh, wish we anyway. neighbors, man. I, I yeah, maybe I can save you some. I don't know. I appreciate that. Um. Anyway, so the the whiskey for this week, I'm going to bring you back stateside. Ooh. Have you try something a little bit different? We're going to try the George Dickel bottled in bond bourbon. All right. And George Dickel is actually a Tennessee whiskey manufacturer. It is the second largest distiller in Tennessee. Second only to Jack Daniels. Most people only think of Jack Daniels and they think Dickel is swill. But once you get outside of the standard offering from George Dickel, there are some unbelievable products. So this one should come in a blue bottle for you. Uh, 
unbelievably well balanced and you should find it to me is similar to that early times bottled and bond mm-hmm. that we started out all this journey with. Uh, but it's a great whiskey that most people don't give, you know, two looks at because of the name. Yeah. So. And as we know, bottle and bond means it's a bottle at a hundred proof. Well done. Yeah. See, JC, I did learn something from this podcast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I look at stuff every week, man. But, uh, a little trivia, a little power tools, a little drunkenness. Yeah. Super it's safety first, right here, right in this in this. That's right. Hell yeah. We yeah. we finish with the whiskey. Yeah, yeah. that's the difference. <laughs> it's when you start yeah. the day with the whiskey is when you really Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Safety third. Yeah. <laughs> safety yep. third. Yeah. But Ross, so George Dickel, um, I'm rather familiar. I've never had their bottle and bond. But they um, they had a, uh, a Tabasco whiskey, like I think they. F- it was not what you would call good. Well, I was surprised. Like I got it as like um, I was going to like a camp out, and I got it as like a, oh this shit's terrible. Like take a shot of this, and then I kind of actually liked how it burned. Like <laughs> it wasn't that bad, you know. Like it wasn't that good. <laughs> no, I mean, I wouldn't put on ice. It's definitely a shooter, but I, I, I take a shot of that over fireball. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, that's right. fair. Uh, Colton, I don't know if Jess, uh, clued you in, but we typically end each episode with, with what we call a nugget. So a bit of information that you would either give to, uh, somebody who is just starting out in their business venture, or if you could give uh, a word of advice to yourself, with the knowledge you have now to when you started out, like you're the self starting out, uh, just a, a quick little bit of a hint or a nugget of, of information to share. So if you want, you can think on that for a little bit and uh, we can share ours. But my nugget from JC is the uh, just confirming that the, you got to step back before you uh, progress and step forward. That yeah. is correct. On top of the That's many a good other one. nuggets, but... Yeah, there was a lot of truth bombs and nuggets you dropped on us today. So thank you for that. Uh, do you have a nugget you want to share? Or do you want us to share some first? What do you think about some, JC? Well, you, you guys go first, and we'll see what I I've got something at the end of this that we'll, we'll touch. All right. Uh, so mine was actually to, on that same note as to take a step back, uh, it's actually to stay the course. Uh, as I alluded to with the festival discussion, that was always one of those reach for kind of things for me to meet people at festival and start the conversation. And, uh, so staying the course for me would be, or advice wise would be make sure you, you do all the little things along the way to build the relationships, meet the right people, get into the right opportunities to then be able to capitalize on those opportunities. So stay the course, do the right things from day one, be a good person and good things will happen. It's a good one. Uh, yeah. My my nugget is, uh, since we're talking about business and things like that, is that if you ever had somebody come to you and they ask you for advice and you really know the answer and you give them the advice and they don't do it. Yes. And, and it's, it's so frustrating and you continue to see them maybe struggle or they didn't listen or whatever because they had in their head – what they were going to do. And it's kind of brings back to what JC was talking about. You're not looking at me, are you? (laughs) No, no. Like you have it in your head. Like, this is what I want to do with this business. And this is the way it's going to go. Paralysis analysis. And this is, this is it. And then, and, 
you start turning down things or whatever it is that that could move you in a different direction, which would be just fine. Um, but if you ask for somebody's advice, take it, especially if they know what they're talking about. Especially in relationships. Yes. It's always people in relationships who ask for advice and don't take any of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But in business relationships, whatever, if, if yeah. somebody's especially coming from a good place yes. and, and just it, at least try it, you know, just, just do it. And it might not be comfortable at first, but, um, chances are it's much, it's very hard to, I don't know what the, the terminology is to, to see it when you're in it, Yeah. to see it from an outside space when you're in it, but from somebody standing on the outside it's very simple. You just have to do this and it might hurt your pride, but just if, if you ask somebody for advice, take it, just take it or try it or think about it or something, move on it, but don't just go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. And then, you know, keep doing what you were doing. That wasn't working anyway. True story. I like it. Yeah. All right, JC, you're up. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step. I'm going to talk about ego and, and the ego that we, it, it takes ego to build, to do a be entrepreneur. It also takes your it also takes your ability to let your ego down and when something doesn't go wrong, admit fast that it went wrong. Like so one of the things that I learned really fast was I, I had a vision of what I wanted to be and I said this chant all the time when we built the first salvage yard that was mine. I said, I want to be the best salvage yard in the country. And they said, Well, what, what do you mean by that? And I said, Well, I want to be the best salvage yard in the country. What does that mean to be the best? Well, the best is a is a term that could be the highest profit, it could be the best people, it could be the best. And best was something that I got to determine as an entrepreneur at all times that I kind of got to define. And mine was the best day or the best hour or the best whatever. So I, my prior life, I was a racer when I was a kid. So I would practice the same turn over and over. And I would read the magazines and I would, I would read the, you know, you got to be doing this stuff and rollerblading and some of the stuff that they told us today you shouldn't do, but pasta loading, all this crap. But when I started thinking about how I was going to make my company and how, what I wanted from it, I wanted a company that I could look back at the people that worked for me were prideful. They're prideful of what they did. They were prideful for working for me. They were, you know, they, they were, they were allowed to be, you know, all these things. And sometimes that all works and sometimes it doesn't. But what I will tell you is the minute I was able to take my ego down and say that I messed this up, I took it away from the employee. I took it away from everybody else. I just took it, took it right on the face that I messed this up, didn't work or, or didn't go as far as I wanted to go. And I was able to move on to the next thing faster. Boy, you will go so much faster in entrepreneurship. When you realize that the, that whatever you did didn't really play the way you wanted or played okay, or maybe it was just kind of a womp womp or not really a complete fizzle, but it wasn't a win. I, I won a lot of World Series by hitting a lot of base hits. Everybody loves to hit home runs. I love to talk about grand slams, but the reality it is in entrepreneurship, there's a lot of base hits and there's a lot of seconds and there's a lot of getting on base just to get around that, around that field. And don't be afraid to take, let your ego, just don't get caught your ego into this product or this process. Just if it's not working, make the adjustments. If it needs change, make change. And if you really feel like it's just taking a part of your soul and it just sucks, go, go on to something new. Don't be afraid to make that adjustment. And, and when Jess walked in there and I talked to him, he was passionate about these two pieces of furniture. And I'm like, they're beautiful. And he was passionate about making cabinets. And I said, I guarantee you've got a good deal there. The The furniture was was really, really beautiful. And I, I could see it going in some people's homes. And I particularly, I like this so much. I bought one right on 
right on right on point because I could see where it's going to go in my house. But it was the price point that I could not everybody could be involved in. And then he has this gorgeous shop and this and his wife is very you know she's super outgoing and he's super outgoing and everything's clean and organized. And I'm like, why couldn't we get the people around him to come and and do a woodworking class and, and sell some labor or sell some time to get people to come through the front door and then have some products that they could be proud of that they took home with them and advance Jess's way because he's so good with people and he's so good at explaining how woodworking works in, in, to, a, to, a, to a layman. I was like, this is, your, I, this is your start of work that allows you to do this other work because everybody gets this ego about like, I'm going to be this when I grow up. And the truth of the matter is what pays the bills, what pays the bills. I mean, and sorry to say, you know, for a good portion of our career, my wife paid the bills. And I mm-hmm. drew from our savings and I, and I made mistakes. And that first year, second year, third year, we didn't make money really till the third year. Now we made money that we turned into more, we made a little money, but not, not to the amount of work that we did in the third and fourth and fifth year, we, the tools were paid for, the relationships were built, the wood suppliers were found, the products that we made, we knew how to make. And we add some side hustle money that we could do, whether it be labor in the classes or consulting. And I say, your work, you guys do custom work. That's like consulting work. Hey, it's 75, a hundred, $200 an hour, but that guy pays every day. So yeah, yep. I may not be, it may not be my, my 100% thing that I have, but you've got to kind of stand on some spider legs to, to, to figure out which way, which way the web's going to grow. That's awesome. Hey, JC, you're on top of all the, um, the, uh, what do you call them? Metaphors on that too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, he's like from talking about the toilet the seat to the guardrails, to the spider web. Like you're, you're, you're on top of that brother. Yeah. I, I, I let's just say this. I listen, I listen to a lot of people and I speak, I, I really do speak publicly about this. And we sat down with a young class an entrepreneur class that I, I'm on a trustee of a board. That's another thing beyond as many things as you can kind of beyond that doesn't take away too much time. So communal, I started following this one thing that I'm, I think is revolutionary is break your, break your day into, into three, three, three sections of eight, right? Eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work, and then eight hours of these two other parts of your life, your personal and your professional, and you cut those up in different ways. And, the time it just it's really different than how you and you start thinking about how your life works and working on those things when you say hey i need this much professional time and and what i found is you know these all these gurus that say all these things there's a handful of things that are true that i can i can absolutely believe to tell you true waking up early in the morning is is a true factor of an entrepreneur and the earlier you can wake up and honestly the earlier you can go to bed the more you can get done in the day I don't care what anybody tells you. If I can force myself to wake up at five in the morning, drink my cup of coffee, go for a walk, even if I'm not working, but I'm walking or I'm doing this, that mental globular group that you do, that you, that you need to do as an entrepreneur because you're sitting in your head, you're thinking about, well, I want to build this and I want to talk to this person. And I want to do this. And you're, you're kind of building your day or whatever that is, however you do it. Mine was getting myself in the right mindset to handle all these things that were going to come at me during the day. And sometimes I was doing pre-work to get it done. Sometimes I was just thinking about it by myself that with the headphones on walking around, going for a walk or just sitting there. And, and as weird as it sounds, sitting by yourself and giving yourself a minute as an entrepreneur where you don't have your kids, you don't have your dogs, you don't have your phone on taking a minute and really think, and don't, don't think about pick one thing to think about or think about nothing. Just sit and internalize and let yourself you know, meditate for a second. I swear to God, that's that time superpowers the rest of your day. 
superpowers it because you've already know the decision on the problem that you've been thinking about and you make that decision that morning. So when you come to that decision during the day, you're not like going, well, what should I do? And you're not reconjugating that thought. You're just making the decision. And when you get bad things to happen, when things, when you know things are going wrong or it's going to be shit or whatever, take that sandwich and be just eat it up and throw it and just go on to the next problem. Don't, don't lament. Because the more you lament about the problem that you just made, the harder it is for you to go to the next the next solution. I'm telling you, it takes away hours, part of your soul. All right. Yeah. JC, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people probably pay a decent amount of money to, to listen to you talk, and, and your time is worth quite a bit. So I want to say, first and foremost, thank you yeah, thank for you. your time, you yeah. for spending as much time as you spent with us uh, for imparting your knowledge on the community here and just for taking the time. Uh, we, I know I learned a ton. I, I have to imagine the other guys did here as well. So thank you very thank much. You guys very much. And if you ever I saw that nugget too, though, but it's good to revive. <laughs> I should have just let it end, but, um, it's not very deep, <laughs> not near as deep <laughs> as all of y'all's. <laughs> it might, it could save you an extension cord though. So when you're going camping or like to, a show or any public event, um, you got to extend your cord. Just wrap a few parts of it in electric tape, like you had fixed it, and it uh, decreases the chance it'll get stolen because people think it's an extension cord. Correct. <laughs> yeah, good saving extension cord. There you go. That when the there you go. shows up at your shop, but, but just as long as you're <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I, I think being that we're all basically at two hours here, it's a good time to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, once again, JC, thank you again thank for you so the time, for the knowledge. This was fantastic. So, uh, to our guests out there, be sure to smash that like, and subscribe button, wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you have any questions you want to submit to us, we will be happy to answer them on the next podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed every second of it. If you didn't, please send all your complaints to our Uptown Bronx legal team at Hey, I'm walking here in Associates, where their motto is, you know a guy. You got a problem? You go down to Sal's Fish Market. You ask a guy named Frankie. He'll say purple. You say fish. Bada boom, it's done. For Jess, Colton, and Ross, this has been the Beat Around the Bench podcast, and we will catch you all next time. See you.